It's HSK Today, a weekly in-depth look at the Henderson Silver Knights and the AHL with your host, Brian McCormick. And here we go. Welcome to HSK Today. Brian McCormick here, you there, Damon Cotton on the other side of the glass for one hour of Henderson Silver Knights hockey talk. Uh, as is always the case, and I always say this, I'm not lying to you, there is a lot that we can get to in this hour, so we'll jam in as much as we can. We'll talk about the Henderson Silver Knights, their bounce-back win on Saturday in San Jose, which was a big win for more reasons than uh, than one. Of course, the, the playoff race that they're in the midst of right now, the race for the top spot in the Pacific Division, the fact that they have uh, the San Jose Barracuda kind of on the outside fringe of that race, not necessarily a team that's threatening the Silver Knights for the top spot, but the Bakersfield Condors and San Diego Gulls certainly are. Uh, and right now everyone seems to be winning, so important for the Silver Knights to get that win and also to respond in the fashion they did after what was a, t- a tough loss to stomach the night before. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about uh, Peyton Krebs briefly. We'll jump into his uh, impact in the NHL as he is playing in his third different league in the last four and a half months. Uh, and that's in addition to World Juniors, so the, the maturity he has shown and well, the fact that he just keeps producing at every single level. So we'll talk a little bit about Peyton Krebs who's gotten his first taste of NHL hockey. We'll hear from Jamie Heward, the assistant coach of the Henderson and Silver Knights. Just the way our show works out today, we actually had a lot of time to spend with Jamie, so a bit of an extended conversation with Jamie Heward. Uh, and as we get towards the end, we'll also talk about the schedule ahead. Is a, a big weekend upcoming for the Henderson Silver Knights and really the whole VGK organization as we'll have a, a doubleheader of sorts on uh, Saturday at T-Mobile Arena where the Henderson Silver Knights will hit the ice at T-Mobile Arena for the first time when they host the San Jose Barracuda for the first of two games against San Jose. Uh, And of course uh, opportunity for fans to see a lot of hockey this weekend on the Strip. So uh, very much uh, a packed show and uh, Damon on top of all of that we're also rapidly approaching playoff season not just for the Henderson Silver Knights we're still waiting to see what that playoff picture is going to look like but also for the VGK who have uh, secured their playoff bid for this uh, this spring and i don't know about you, you we're we're past the point Demon, where we're usually having this conversation, usually in a normal year we're having this uh, edge of the playoffs conversation in mid-April. Uh, now it's early May, so our calendars are a bit off. But nonetheless, I still feel that that spring rejuvenation, rebirth, there, there's something about uh, playoff hockey that just almost feels like a, a palate cleanser and, uh, and anything is possible kind of mindset. And for, for VGK fans, top to bottom, you know, we've kind of reached that, that point of year. Are you feeling that, that revitalization that comes with spring hockey? I am feeling it. And, you know, it's just like me being like a casual fan. Like, I feel like it's ramping up. I don't know if you saw like the Rangers and the Capitals fight. Yes. That's like that part. Like, it's like teams are gearing up. It's it's go time. That for me, that was the revitalization. Like, it's go time now. Teams are ready. And boy, am I glad you brought that up, Damon, because we're going to talk about that too. First, though, let's get to the uh, the most recent Silver Knights action, and that was Saturday at SAP Center. It's kind of funny to think about. Uh, you, you don't put that much thought into it because the uh, Barracuda in a normal season play all their games at SAP Center anyway. But uh, for the Silver Knights, they're going to play three straight games in NHL buildings. That's, that's Well, maybe that's more cool for me. Uh, I, I geek out about that kind of stuff. But the Silver Knights on Saturday... At SAP, they got a big win, a win that they needed to have, and it wasn't just the, the win, it was how they got it. A 4 nothing win, they get two goals from Jack Dugan, who has three goals in his last two games. Now he's starting to balance out his production. Of course, he's had a, a phenomenal rookie season among the leaders in uh, rookie scoring in the American Hockey League. Matter of fact, if I'm not mistaken, I haven't uh, checked the update since last night, and you know, I'll do it right now rather than... Uh, 
then give you all homework to do. He is still atop the rookie scoring race with 30 points in 32 games, but uh, starting to find the back of the net himself a little bit. I spoke with him a bit this morning, and I said, well, you know, Manny Viveros has talked about wanting the team to, to shoot more, put more pucks on net. This was a team that was outshot uh, pretty much four out of every five games. Despite winning, they were still outshot. That was just the way the, the game was modeled, but Manny Viveros has challenged his team. More pucks on net, more shots on goal. And I said, well, Jack is a pass-first player. Did that kind of... Uh, did you take that message to heart? And he says, yeah, he did. He wants to shoot more, and he thinks teams are starting to, to pick up on the fact that he was always looking to dish off. So now he's taking it to the net himself, and he's having success with it. Eight goals on the season now for Jack Dugan. Danny O'Regan, uh, a three-point game as well as he stays red hot. Uh, Danny O'Regan playing his best hockey of the season at just the right time, as it's now, uh, if I'm not mistaken, 11 points in the last seven games uh, for Danny O'Regan. So all of that positive, but on top of that, First of all, the Silver Knights get their, their third shutout victory of the season against a San Jose team that put up seven goals the night before. And a lot of that was uh, special teams driven where the Silver Knights penalty kill really, really struggled on Friday night. They uh, they let the San Jose power play go five for five. They blanked the San Jose power play on Saturday, but Oscar Dance stopped all 16 shots he saw. All well and good, but, but really this was a San Jose team that never got going. And for the Silver Knights, they scored a five-on-three power play goal from Jack Dugan in the first five minutes of the game. And you just got a sense, you, you can almost hear like a... a a sigh of relief. That's not the right word, but it's the right mentality. For me, I was up in the rafters 100 feet away, and you can see when, when Jack Dugan scored in the first period, you could just see the reaction of the bench like, okay, good, that's the way we usually start games. Finally, a, a lift rather than having to, to chase the game or dig ourselves out of a hole. Uh, it, it was a very, very good response and a good start and a good 200-foot effort for a Silver Knights team that once they had control of the game, they put their foot down on it. Um, and, and that's something that we were so used to seeing the first 20 games of the year and has been a little bit lacking in, the, in recent weeks, the, the domination of a game. Getting on the board first, taking control of a hockey game, and then just putting your foot down and saying, we've, you know, th there's not going to be an opportunity for pushback. We're not going to let you pick your head up off the mat. Uh, that was really encouraging to see from a Silver Knights perspective. And, and also doing it after a game where, yes, they lost 7-5 the night before, but that was a game where they fought back from multiple multiple goal defic uh, deficits to tie that game in the final minute only to have it slip away in that final minute. So, you know, that was a... Uh in addition to some of the other defeats they've suffered of late, that could have been something that could spiral. Instead, they come out and they play arguably their best hockey game in a month and a half. So the Silver Knights had a lot to be happy about on Saturday. And after the game, we talked a bit with Manny Viveros on that very subject. How did his team respond that the, uh, the way that they did? Here's what Manny had to say. Well, we just, uh, you know, going into tonight, too, we... Um it's like not, not like we were upset with our game the other night before. Um, our special teams weren't that great as far as our penalty kill is concerned, and that's something we wanted to clean up. And I thought we did a really good job on that. Our five-on-five five play has been really good over this, you know, this little slide that we were going through. But we knew if we could stay out of the box first and foremost and get a couple kills, then we'd, we'd be fine here. But uh, you know, the guys were really determined here, and they wanted to, you know. Uh, you know, last night the, 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 that stung a little bit, that loss that we had there. We worked so hard to get back again, and, uh, you know, really it was not so much what we did as what the players did themselves, and they were really focused, and uh, they were determined to leave here with two points tonight. And they did just that. That was head coach Manny Viveros. So, so now you ask for the Silver Knights. They've had, uh, by the time they play again against San Jose once again on Saturday, it'll have been a week uh, a calendar week before uh, between games for the Silver Knights. San Jose uh, lost a game in between, but they've been largely uh, largely off their feet. 
Uh, is it good for the Silver Knights to have had a week to uh, decompress and, and get some practice time in and regather their, their energy? Uh, or is that a, a win on Saturday that you wish they were playing 24 hours later to, to compound on it? Uh, we'll, we'll find out when we see the uh, Silver Knights come out for a 1 p.m. puck drop at T-Mobile Arena. Now, fans, if you have tickets to that game, and it's going to be exciting, and, and uh, you know, fan, the players have already mentioned how uh, they hope there's going to be a, a strong buzz in the building for what, again, is going to be a long hockey day at T-Mobile Arena. The game starts at 1, and perhaps you've been coming to a few games at the Orleans Arena and you're not exactly sure how things may be the same or different uh, at T-Mobile Arena in terms of entry and what you're allowed. Well, I'm going to give you some details right now, and I believe these emails, uh, th- this information should be sent to you uh, day of game. I think you'll get an email on this topic as well, but but let me walk you through it. Uh, when you go to T-Mobile Arena, there are no bags allowed, so be prepared. No bags will be uh, allowed inside T-Mobile Arena. Uh or doors are going to be open at 11.30 a.m., so uh, one and a half hours prior to puck drop. Uh, the, the doors will be open that you can enter T-Mobile Arena. Uh, you're going to need to download the Clear app. The Clear app uh, registration is required to enter, so there will be instructions in that email as well. But the Clear app, C-L-E-A-R, uh, will be required to, for, to gain billing entry. Uh, masks will be required unless you're actively eating or drinking. And once again, everyone will receive these instructions via email uh, on game day. So you don't, if you, if you don't have a pen and paper right now, don't worry. You're going to get this information again at some point. But uh, just be mindful that there will be no bags allowed at the arena. Uh, masks will be required. And the Clear app and registration will be required for building entry as well. So a few things to keep your mind on. And, and, and again, looking down the road for Silver Knights Hockey, because this is the final five-game homestand of the regular season. And it's well, it's, it's a five-game homestand that's going to dictate playoff positioning for the Henderson Silver Knights. You want to get your tickets while they last. And for the Henderson Silver Knights, uh, that includes these two games against San Jose, but also three games next week on the 13th, 15th, and 16th against the Bakersfield Condors. So make sure you hop online to hendersonsilvernights.com and get your Silver Knights tickets. And uh, that also includes... Uh, Worth mentioning, Tuesday's game, the 11th, Tuesday at the Orleans Arena against San Jose, they're going to have a limited number of Marc-Andre Fleury figurines uh, to give away. I believe the first 2,000 fans, I believe. But they're going to have Marc-Andre Fleury figurines available to fans as a giveaway item. Uh, and we have tickets starting at $19. $19 uh, starting price for tickets to that game so on Tuesday the 11th. So hop on to hendersonsilvernights.com and get yourself set for the home stretch of Henderson Silver Knights hockey. Moving forward, uh, something that's... Uh, well, let's get to Peyton Krebs first. Let's take a look at Silver Knights players making an impact at the NHL level with silver and gold. Silver and gold Silver and gold Everyone wishes for silver and gold is making his NHL debut this week and doing quite a fine job in the process on his opening game. He got his first NHL point on a goal from Alex Tuck, and here's how it sounded from Dave Gosher and Shane Knighty. He'll hit the red line and bank it in. Not for long, Petrangelo to Juan. Here's Krebs. Lead pass to Tuck, dashing in. Hit shot, and he scores! Alex Tuck down the far side. Peyton Krebs with his first point. In his NHL debut, and Vegas back on top. It's the play by Krebs. Rather than just dump it in, pulls up. Good pass. And he finds Tuck streaking the far side. Alex Tuck just gets it under the arm of Talbot. 
And that was Peyton Krebs' first point and assist on the goal from Alex Tuck. He also got into the game uh, last night playing just under 14 minutes. No points last night, but... You know, we talked about earlier this year when we saw Peyton Krebs and he had six points in his first six professional periods. Just a player that has tremendous vision on the ice and, and awareness, and I think we saw it on that tuck assist where he has the puck in the neutral zone and he makes a, an east-west pass in the neutral zone. Simple enough, but it wasn't just a pass on the tape for Alex Tuck as much as it was a pass that led him into the zone, led him into space, and when Tuck collects that, he's able to get two or three strides. Of course, Alex Tuck's uh, speed has uh, plenty to do with this as well, but what looked like an innocent zone entry where the Minnesota Wild had pretty good positioning at their own blue line uh, became an open lane and a goal for Alex Tuck, so a good start for Peyton Krebs to his NHL career, and uh, again, we saw him this year at the AHL level at the Silver Knights where he was essentially a point-per-game player, uh, but we've also seen him uh, in the Western Hockey League with the Winnipeg Ice where playing forward and defense at the end of the year. He had uh, points in 23 straight games and led the league in scoring. We saw what he did this year at the uh, the World Juniors. He's a very special player, having a very special season and being rewarded with NHL ice time uh, to wrap up his, uh, his first professional season, or professional hybrid, if you will, with the time he spent in the Western League. Uh, but, but a very, very busy year for Peyton Krebs, and really just really surprising, honestly, with uh, at his age and with the strange circumstances of this year, bouncing back and forth between three leagues, multiple quarantines. Uh, it all started with the World Juniors, which could, you know, there aren't many bigger stages for a kid that age. Uh, all that, and, and plenty of excuses if he wanted them to have a, a lull somewhere along the line, but he's just gotten better and better and better really impressive to see just how well he's played and how well he's handled this uh, this unique season. The Vegas Golden Knights have to be very, very happy with what they've seen this year from Peyton Krebs. Uh, important news around the AHL today. It was Board of Governors meeting day, and uh, there might be more news that comes from the meetings as uh, the rest of the day goes on, but already there have been some reports that came out. Uh, the AHL Board of Governors has approved the relocation of the Vancouver Canucks AHL franchise to Abbotsford, British Columbia. So the Canucks had been with the Utica Comets in Utica, New York. They will now move west to Abbotsford, British Columbia. Abbotsford, you may remember, was already an AHL market a few years back. They used to be the home of the Abbotsford Heat, the AHL affiliate of the Calgary Flames before the Flames moved to Stockton, so it'll be the second time around for the Abbotsford market in the American Hockey League. Uh, that's much more a Vancouver fan market in terms of, uh, that's one of the reasons why they thought the fan support might not have been all that great when Abbotsford was around the last time. Was It was a bunch of Vancouver fans not wanting to go watch Flames prospects. Well, now it's a, a bit of a more sensible marriage. So the Canucks will have their new franchise in Abbotsford, which could very well affect the Silver Knights schedule for next season. Uh, as the Silver Knights, uh, of course, in the Western Conference might uh, have a Canadian stop on their schedule. That's to be determined, but worth keeping an eye on as the Western Conference grows. The New Jersey Devils have moved their affiliate from Binghamton, uh, the Binghamton Devils. They have signed a 10-year partnership with Utica. That was announced uh, earlier today. So I believe Utica will be keeping their name. I don't know. Well, that, you know, that's not to be determined, right? Today, the Utica Comets made an announcement. I don't know if they're going to change it to the Utica Devils or anything else. Who knows? But for now, we know that the uh, Utica will be the home of the New Jersey Devils, which means, at least for the moment, uh, the Binghamton City uh, market will not have AHL hockey uh, this year, as they've had affiliations with the Rangers and the Senators and the and the De- the Devils. They, they've been involved in the AHL uh, at some, one point or another for for decades. But it appears right now there will not be uh, hockey in Binghamton at the AHL level next season. Also worth keeping an eye on the uh, the Bridgeport Sound Tigers. I don't know what they're doing, but they've hinted that they might be uh, looking at a name change just based on some cryptic tweets 
there there appears as though the Bridgeport Sound Tigers are changing their name and just just looking at some of the context clues within their uh, within the the post they put out. I'm thinking it might be the the uh, Bridgeport Islanders. That that's again not not an announcement or report. That's just trying to to look for context clues. Uh, so that's what we have so far. But as you spend the day looking to catch up on news in the AHL, because there's a lot uh, to be discussed uh, in terms of next year's divisional alignment with with some of these relocations uh, that we just discussed. Uh, anytime you're looking to catch up with anything AHL uh, from an insider source, Patrick Williams is a, is a great person to follow. He is uh, essentially the AHL insider for NHL.com, uh, as well as for Elite Prospects, and he is uh, has his finger on the pulse with everything that's going on today from these Board of Governor meetings, including also what might come out of today's meeting uh, regarding the Palm Springs AHL team uh, that is planned to be the affiliate of the new NHL Seattle Kraken. Now, uh, Palm Springs was not expected to play until 22-23, so there was time, but we've been waiting to see what progress will be made with their uh, their their new arena in Palm Springs in that uh, Coachella Valley, as I've heard it referred to. So, uh, throughout the day, very, very uh, worth your while to follow Patrick Williams at P. Williams AHL. At P. Williams AHL, he does a great job of keeping up on all the AHL breaking news, so I encourage you to keep an eye on him. We'll step aside. When we come back, we're going to hear from uh, Henderson Silver Knights assistant coach Jamie Heward, a longtime professional player, longtime coach in the Western Hockey League, and now in his first year on an AHL bench. We'll find out how it's been going and uh, what uh, wisdom he can impart to the youth. That's straight ahead on HSK Today. Guess what? I got a fever. And the only prescription is more... HSK Today. Back on HSK Today, Brian McCormick here with you. And we are with Henderson Silver Knights assistant coach Jamie Heward. And uh, Jamie, thanks for taking a few minutes this afternoon to, to help us get to know the real you. Oh, my pleasure. So first of all, easy question right off the top, Jamie, is it is your first year as an assistant coach in the AHL with the Henderson Silver Knights. We're uh, coming out of the home stretch now. So how has this season been for you? Have you enjoyed the job? And uh, how has the team met the expectations that you had coming in? Well, I think all things being considered with, uh, you know, all the COVID restrictions and, um, you know, no fans in the building early on in the year and and kind of the, the mental stress that it, you know, put on the coaching staff and the players at the start of the year. It's uh, it's been exceptional, to be honest with you. It, it, if that wasn't the case, um, I don't even know how to describe it. It would have been uh, un, pretty much undescribable how good it's been. So, um, really, really happy with uh, you know the decision to come down here and, and join Manny and the coaching staff and and get to know. Henderson and get to know uh, you know the outskirts of uh, of the Las Vegas area um, and just kind of you know go go into a situation um, and be comfortable with with everything that's happened. So often this year we've talked about the players and how they've adjusted to this unusual season and like you mentioned the protocols and things of that nature. We haven't really asked that all that often of, of the coaches and the fact that all these things have probably impacted the way you guys would ordinarily do your job. I mean, you've, you've probably had to be a little bit creative yourselves. It has impacted us uh, a little more than, um, than normal. Uh, and most of it has to do with just the meetings. Um, you know, if you want to do your video packages and you want to, 
you know, you want to talk to players, and it's it's hard to get them in groups. Um, you know, with the with the restrictions that were put on it. Yeah, the travel and everything, just trying to set up, uh, you know, trying to set up buses and that type of thing to have two buses now and to make sure, you know, um, you know, I feel bad for the guys that uh, that are looking after the stuff on the road because it really does impact us quite a bit. But um, you know what? It's one of those things where um, we just had to, to dig in and, and it made us, you know, it's made us uh, more aware of. Uh, and appreciate the things when they're going well. So, um, you know, it's it, like I said, it's not anything crazy bad, but it uh, it just makes you aware of of when things do go good that uh, you have to appreciate them. We're with assistant coach Jamie Heward now. Coach, you, you played in you play pro hockey at the NHL, IHL, multiple levels for for many years. So you had a, a great background in hockey, and you've been working in player development and, and coaching in the Western Hockey League prior to this. Now we we know your your background coaching with Manny Vivros, so that's one reason why you decided to come to Henderson, I'm sure. But in addition to that, having been hockey so long, were you eager to make the jump to the AHL level? Is, is this a, a coaching opportunity that you were hoping would come along for a while? Yeah, I mean, when I first got into to, to coaching, it was. Um you know, I had just retired and I, I just, I couldn't get away from it. <laughs> I, I didn't want to just, uh, not do anything, um, during the day. I mean, I was programmed, uh, to, to, you know, meeting at this time, lunch at that time, game time, travel time, everything was kind of, was set up for you. And your life was pretty much, uh, around the rink was, was laid out by somebody else. So, Hockey was all that I I really wanted to do, and um, at the time I I had young children, and I didn't know if uh, you know moving them away from from home again was the right idea, and so I just decided to get into junior hockey back uh, in my hometown, um, and it just kind of you know I wanted to see where it was going to go. It wasn't something that I put a lot of pressure on myself or. Um, you know, oh my God, I got to make that jump. I need to make it to the NHL. It's my lifelong dream. It, it was just something that I was just going to feel my way through and, and let the process take care of itself. And the more my family grew up and the more that I got into, um, you know, into coaching and, and the guys that I started coaching with, the more I realized that, yeah, it was a goal that I wanted to accomplish and something to strive for. If it didn't happen, uh, it wasn't going to be you know, the end of the world. But if, you know, it was it was something that I was, you know, wanting to to get to and, and it's good to have a goal in coaching and that was going to be my goal. So, um, you know, jumping from pro uh, from junior to pro, um, you know, I mean, I knew a lot of guys that were, were up here and, uh, and there's a lot of NHL coaches and guys that I played with that are coaching that, um, you know, you give them a call and, and kind of just ask them, certain questions about uh you know the next level and they all basically just said the same thing you you know you played a long time and and a lot of the stuff that you know um is stuff that we're teaching right now so it's not like you're going into something totally different so and you know uh, the guys uh, with the knights were were very helpful um you know ryan craig and 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 uh and gilly were awesome to to talk to at the start of the year just to kind of um you know, feel my way through the process, and here I sit. And to stay involved in hockey, you could have gone scouting. There's a million different routes that you can go, but you do have a coach's personality. You're not afraid to come down on guys when necessary, but there's also there's humor in there too because you get a good chuckle out of a lot of guys on the bus uh, when when necessary. Is it important as, as an assistant coach especially to have that balance, to have both, to, to be able to teach but also be approachable? 
Yeah, I, well, 100%. Um, you know, the the generation of player now is uh, is a, you know, kind of a why generation. You know, why did this happen? Why are we doing this? Um, that kind of thing. So, and which is fine. I mean, it's it's one of those things where they, they want, they just want information. They, they want information and they want it as soon as they possibly can get it. So communication is a big, is a big part of it. It's, it's gotta be a daily interaction with, um, especially the young guys, the first year guys that are just coming out of junior and, uh, or just out of college that uh, may have struggles with the, with the pro game and, and the way things operate at the pro, pro level. Um, you know, but it's, I, I, I wanted to stay in coaching because of the personal side of it. You're dealing with the kids every day. You're dealing with stuff that uh, that they they go through in their lives and stuff that I had gone through in my pro career and my life with um, you know playing in the minors, uh, getting sent down, called back up, family issues, babies are crying. You know, I mean, you've got there's a lot going on in, in a lot of these guys uh, guys' heads, and and uh, so it was something that I felt that I could contribute to and. You know the scouting part of it. I, I I wouldn't have minded doing that, but I just I still felt that the the player interaction and the the daily interaction with the guys was something I wanted to continue, and that's something I enjoyed when I played, and uh, it's something that I still enjoy today. With assistant coach Jamie Heward speaking about relating to the young players, we, we've seen a lot of players being asked to be versatile this year with different line mates, different up and down the lineup, you know, not necessarily position changes, but you were a first round draft pick and you went through a position change in your career going from forward to D uh, and it served you well because you played a very, very long time. How is it working with young kids who are, are balancing what they picture themselves to be or what their skill set dictates is going to be best for them in the long run? Well, it's a fine line. <laughs> it's, uh, it, you have to be able to adapt in pro hockey. Um, if you want to come from junior and you want to get to the National Hockey League, you must be willing to make changes. And the one thing you tell the guys all the time is it doesn't matter if you had 120 points in junior, um, you might be asked to kill penalties and play on the fourth line. So, you know, making adjustments. Um, maybe you weren't, you know, a top end, a top end guy when you, you know, were playing junior and you come up to pro and all of a sudden you develop into somebody that uh, is called upon to play in the top six and be on the power play. And you might not have ever done it before, but all of a sudden now you're thrust into it. It's, you know, can you, you know, can you become a good face-off guy? Um, you know, can you play center if you were a winger? Can, <laughs> I mean, there's a million different adjustments. And, um, you know, as a, as a guy that was drafted as a forward and then had to learn how to play defense, um, you know, at the pro level, I totally understand uh, what guys are going through on a daily basis and the struggles and and you know you try to you, you just try to tell them as long as you're working hard every single day um, that's all we can ask for you try and you try and coach the other things in the skill side and and the, the situational play uh, through video but the one thing that they all have to understand is is, is if you work hard um, we can help you. If you don't, uh, then it comes down to, you know, are you doing the right things all the time? And, and that's when um, there's a lot more meetings <laughs> than probably players want to have with the coaching staff. But um, it, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a tough game to play at a young level. Um, and you know what? It's, it's fun watching these guys uh, develop, but it's, uh, you know, it's also a hard thing for them, and, and we're, we're here to help them. 
Jamie, we're having fun, so we're going to keep this going. So stay right there. We'll pick this up with assistant coach Jamie Heward on the other side of the break. This is HSK Today. A man become preeminent. He's expected to have enthusiasms. 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 What am I? What draws my admiration? What is that which gives me joy? Brian McCormick. Back on HSK Today, continuing our conversation with Silver Knights assistant coach Jamie Heward. This is the inaugural season of Henderson Silver Knights Hockey. And if you wanted to get perspective on what it's like for a first-year team with a new fan base and new expectations, well, someone who would be an expert in that would be you because you were a member of the expansion Nashville Predators. You were a member of the expansion Columbus Blue Jackets. You have plenty of insights, not only <laughs> playing the game, but also what comes with that of getting a new organization, a new fan base, and a new market off the ground. Well, and then you add in, you know, all the difficulties with with COVID and, and everything that kind of surrounded it. I mean, um, you know, the one the one thing with the expansion, you know, the expansion teams that I played for, um, you know, the fans were a, a big part of it in the first year, and unfortunately, the fans haven't been able to be a, a huge part of our um, of our kind of our new season this year, and which has been unfortunate. But so. Yeah, you know, I'm almost thinking that next year is going to be our real inaugural season with the fans and the new building and, you know, potential new building towards the end of the year. And so it's kind of a, it's kind of a weird feeling. Like we, we did cut our teeth in a lot of areas, um, you know, obviously with, with the restrictions and everything and, and no fans early. It was, uh, you know, it was difficult, but, um, you know, it, it, in some ways it allowed us to kind of do things a little bit easier. Uh, and, but you know, you still miss the fan base. So, I, I think next year, the fans and the players are going to get a real, um, a real indication of what it's like to be a brand new team in a new city. Once we can have a sellout crowd, and and you know, it's it's a real, uh, you know, real good atmosphere in there. So, yeah, I mean, the fans coming in that have that have been of our games have been great. Um, they've they've increased our. Um, our energy level, you know, 200% because, you know, guys are excited to see fans in the stands. Now, if we can add another 6,000, um, now you're, you know, now you're in a situation where Columbus and Nashville had that immediate impact of the fans. So I think our guys and, and staff and, and the whole organization are really looking forward to the day when we can have a full building and, and then that's our kind of our inaugural um, start to everything. Jamie, this is going to be a little bit of an abstract question, but we talked a bit about this topic off the air over the last week, uh, just the evolution of the game and how it's more skilled, faster. Fans all know this, but I think we also sometimes think of evolution of the game as just a linear thing. It's going in one direction. That's fast and that's more skilled. That may be the case, but I think this past week at the NHL level, we've also seen that there's a debate to be had with the grit and toughness element as well. Again, really broad question. I'm going to give you a lot of room to, to roam here. Uh, but where, where do you think the game is, is going? You know, does evolution only work in one direction? No, I, well, yes. I mean, yes and no. <laughs> I guess that's a, it's a really loaded question because to me, the game has never been faster, um, you know, which is, which is fun to watch at times, but it's also... And also to the point where it's just it's so fast all the time that there's really you know you miss kind of the days where there is a little bit more grind time and a little bit more 
um, you know, board work and that kind of thing um, in the game. And it does it does change in the playoffs. I mean, that's the one thing you can you can always agree on is that the games get tougher and um, you know the guys bear down in the playoffs and and they're a little more hardy and. You get you get a lot more board battles. You get a lot more stuff that uh, that you wouldn't normally see in a lot of uh, you know regular season games, just because of the you know the the grind on the guys' bodies and the travel and the amount of games. So it really does come to a, a full head in the playoffs. And and I, I mean the playoffs last year. I know it was a bubble situation and it was a weird situation, but. I don't think the hockey was ever better, um, you know, from my perspective and a fan's perspective. So, you know, as a as an ex-player, and I, I would like to see, you know, potentially some of the rules um, with a little bit more interference stuff just to, to kind of save, you know, some high impacts and that kind of thing of defensemen going back for pucks and for forwards that are, you know, in vulnerable situations where a guy can come in and give give his partner a little bit of help. I don't think it would slow the game down, but um, you know, I I I think there, yes, the evolution has gone to a super high, fast-paced uh, game, but I think there still is rules. You know, there's, there there could be uh, interpretive stuff within the game to to help kind of not slow it down, but kind of give guys a little bit of extra seconds so they're not vulnerable at times and. I mean, the, the athletes are bigger and stronger and faster than they've ever been. And, you know, it's just one of those things where, um, you know, it, you always you always have the ability as a player to adapt and players will always adapt no matter what, no matter what rules you put in, no matter what happens. These guys are, are the best of the best and they'll, you know, they'll certainly come up with a way to, to get around stuff and, and to make stuff entertaining. So I, I think the game has never been in a better a better place and i think it's it's easy if you know they wanted to make changes to a to a great game it wouldn't it wouldn't be all that bad i'm going to wrap up by asking just a few goofy ones i do it to everybody so don't be shy uh from your playing career and coaching career for that matter favorite road city uh favorite road city um well you always i always played a lot in the east um so I enjoyed going out, you know, going to Phoenix and going out to L.A. and places like that because you never really, when you play in the East, you don't see the sun very often. So it was always nice to go to a warm climate. Um, but I, I would probably say, uh, you know, the warmer climates. Anytime we went on the West, the West Coast trip, being in Canadian cities, Vancouver um, was, always a, was always a good place to go to just because... Um, Playing in a Canadian town, it was it was that was always a good one to, to go into. Do you have a most embarrassing career moment that you would be willing to divulge? <laughs> Not that I can remember. I don't think that's pretty good. <laughs> no, I don't think there was anything like. No, I I'm not gonna go with anything too crazy. I don't think there was anything that was like. Yeah, not, not not publicly anyway. <laughs> I don't think there was anything in public that I did that was absolutely ridiculous. So. That's just me asking you to do my job for yeah. me. Uh, what is your uh, your go to binge watch TV show? Oh, um, well, for a while there, I mean, they're coming out with a new season, but it was Ozark for a while. Um, I'm actually into right now. I'm I'm getting into the the Peaky Blinders. 
Um, so I'm just started that I'm a little bit behind, but that's kind of my, my binge watch right now. That feels like your kind of show. <laughs> uh, Jamie Heward, best concert you ever went to? Oh boy. Um, oh, I've been to a lot. Um, so boy, I, I, this is going to be a hard one. It's going to be a real hard one. Um, I would say I saw you two in, um, in Zurich, Switzerland, when I was playing over there in a lockout year. So I'm gonna say I'm gonna say you two in Switzerland. Uh, the European experience you had playing, how similar or different is to the European experience that maybe you guys, uh, younger players, are having now? Um, I was pretty I was pretty fortunate to have a good experience in in Europe. I played in Switzerland, which is a beautiful country, and so it, to me it wasn't uh, you know um, I played in Russia, which was a little bit a little bit more. A little more difficult uh, just with the language barrier and that kind of thing on the family. But um, I certainly feel for the young guys that are, you know, that have to come over and language barrier and learning a different game and all that kind of stuff. It's, you know, I, I, I feel for them when they come over because I knew what I was going through when I when I went over there. Um, so, you you know, you, you have to understand that, uh, you know, coming to a different country is not easy. So it's, uh, you know, it's something that you have to talk to the guys about. Last one, Jamie. I asked Manny Vivros this early in the year, and he chuckled at it the first time, and then the second, third time it was less funny. But I wonder what you think. Uh, when you look at Tyler Steenberg and Stuart Skinner, some of the uh, the Swift Current Bronco alumni, uh, they've had they've had out for you guys. They've had very good seasons against you. Is there a reason? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, now I now I know why you're. I'm Manny chuckled at it. I I don't. I don't. Uh, I didn't think Steiner hated us that much to score that many goals against us. No, I, I, I and, and Skinner. I mean, Skins is a, a very good goaltender. So I mean, his, uh, you know, his wins against us have been, you know, something to pretty spectacular. So he's <laughs> and you know both really high quality guys. So. Um, you like to see them do well, just a little less well against us would be nice. <laughs> but both great kids, so I, I, I have to, I got to tip my hat to both of them. Well, next year we'll put them on the Christmas card list. Maybe they'll knock it off. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Assistant Coach Jamie Heward, thanks so much for the time. Really appreciate it, and uh, good luck the rest of the way. All right, thanks. And that was Assistant Coach Jamie Heward, and uh, really fascinating, and and a lot to to digest uh, through both parts of that of that interview. It's the longest interview we've done on this show. Um, but just interesting how his his background in the uh, Western Hockey League, his relationship with Manny Viveros, how they've worked together, how they know each other, um, and how it suited both of them. And Manny's spoken on this topic already this year multiple times. But you know, there, there's something that's really useful about working with young kids in junior hockey, and then at the AHL level, you can relate to the older players because you played in the league and you understand them from that perspective. But on the other side of the threshold, you've worked with young kids and you know what the uh, the demands are on a player that's making that jump from junior hockey to making this a living so so very interesting the uh, the perspective of how he approaches that and how he tries to to read these young players uh, to determine what's best for them especially some of these players you know we all think we know what's best when we're 18 19 20 years old uh it's it, sometimes we're a little harder to get through i'm now 31 so I've, I've long since learned that i didn't know what i was talking about when i was young but these young kids sometimes need to push and uh it's it's fun to see what jamie heward and uh and, and joel ward have done with these players as assistants this season yeah another thing that was touched on demond you brought this up earlier in the show so i want to ask you this uh, this uh animosity between the rangers and Capitals this week with the Tom Wilson uh, 
event, we'll, we'll call it an event, uh, incident. As a casual fan, what was your uh, takeaway from the from the Wilson uh, scuffle? Did you think that should, it was suspension-worthy? Um, no, but I see why that they have, like, that animosity of, like, if you think you were so wronged, like, hey, next time we see you, it's on site. But I don't think, like, you know, a fine's good enough, and let's just keep it moving. Right, and, and now yesterday was uh, yesterday was six fights, I think, in four minutes, uh, and, and three of them right off the opening face-off. Like you knew it was it was going to be retribution time uh, at Madison Square Garden. You, you had a sense of that going in. What I want to take away from this, and what Jamie kind of touched on in in his interview, or at least ad- addressed the idea, is the evolution of the game and. We always talk about evolution of hockey as though it's this linear thing. Times have changed and we've moved on and the game's not like that anymore. And I, I just wonder how true that is. Because as we know very well, it is a copycat league. Teams all generally move in the same direction. Whatever the cup winner was the year before, you try to become that. Or whatever a first place team was, you try to you know find how to match that team. And, and that's how the sport evolves. And that's kind of how we move towards speed and skill and away from the enforcer who plays four minutes a night and, and doesn't really contribute much else skill-wise. That doesn't really exist in the game anymore. And that's, that's fine. That's the way the game has, has moved. But I wonder how permanent that move is. And it's not me saying that we're going to come back to the likes of, uh, you know, uh, Stu Grimson or uh, George LaRock, or, you know, guys who were, were heavyweights in the league, but but you know, weren't uh, asked to, to provide much else in terms of uh, when the puck was on their stick. When you look at what Tom Wilson does, and you hear about how highly his teammates think of him, even if other players don't, and, and some have said that other players around the league respect him too, you do get the sense when you hear p- the way players talk about him, there's a real animosity there, there's a real dislike, but if he was a free agent tomorrow, his phone would probably ring upwards of 20 times. And what, what I wonder there is, is what what the message the NHL sent when they suspended him, uh, or I'm sorry, when they, when they fined him for $5,000. Of course, Tom Wilson is uh, what, what many would argue to be a repeat offender. Uh, th- this is not a, a Tom Wilson defense or apologist show. That's not the direction I'm taking this. But what I do wonder is, people say, well, $5,000 fine, that's all. Well, what message does that send to Tom Wilson? I, I wonder if the message is to everybody else that from an NHL perspective, if there's a blatant undeniable, suspendable, launching shoulder to the head, then they're going to likely suspend. That's that's generally been pretty uh, well upheld by the NHL since they've put more of a, a focus on, on head injuries and, and uh, primary point of contact on hits. But in a situation with Tom Wilson where it's grappling and wrestling to the ground, even if he was reckless, even if he was uh, in poor form, which could absolutely be argued, the NHL's less likely to issue suspensions on grappling on scuffles, on, on you know, pile-ups in the corner. It, it's just per, perhaps room they don't want to tread into. So what, what I, I lead towards with all of this is I wonder from a an NHL perspective if what they're saying is, hey, we're not going to suspend things like that. You guys figure it out. You handle it. And did the NHL want to see six fights in four minutes yesterday? Probably not. But we I think we have such short-term vision of looking back that when you look at Tom Wilson, in the 90s, there were 20 Tom Wilsons. There were a lot of them. And if you hear the former enforcers and the former skill players of that era, they said when there were enforcers on the ice, this stuff didn't happen. Players didn't take runs at Wayne Gretzky. They didn't take runs 
uh, at uh, Mario Lemieux, and they didn't do it because if they did, you know, in Edmonton, Mark Messier and, and Adam Graves were going to come after you. You know, th- that was that was something that that didn't happen, and. This is not to say that the six foot five, two hundred forty pound enforcer is going to come back, but I wonder if we're going to move in a direction where you see more Tom Wilsons, and I don't mean that in terms of uh, regard or disregard for uh, for the uh, the code of the game, but I do mean it in the sense of. Tom Wilson is a matchup nightmare because players are afraid of him, and he scores twenty five goals. Same can be said and is developing with Matthew Kachuk in Calgary, Brady Kachuk in Ottawa. Are we going to see teams now have to take it upon themselves? Will this be an evolution of the game, just like the Broad Street Bullies in Philadelphia came about because they were manhandled by St. Louis and said that's not going to happen again? Just like the uh, the Bruins of the uh, early 2000s with Milan Lucic, they had size and grit and meanness, and that was almost you. You were was that response to the 2007 Anaheim Ducks? It's not like it's been that long. Since We've seen big, heavy, imposing, brutalizing teams. Does this become an evolution now where we look for more teams to develop their players to be, okay, you're, our, you're a 25-goal guy, but you've also got a little bit of edginess and nastiness. Let's, let's, uh, let's exfoliate that. Let's, let's make that. Let, let's, let's nurture that gift you have. Are, is the answer that Tom Wilson is going to be gone? Because some people are going to say Tom Wilson should be banned. And, and Frank, personally, me, from, from two nights ago, I didn't see anything that was ban-worthy. Uh, I saw something that the Rangers were upset with, and under, understandably so, and they want more uh, punishment from the league, and that's, uh, that's justifiable to ask for. But I didn't see anything that's going to get Tom Wilson banned from the league. Is the answer instead going to be, okay, players need to start developing 25-goal skill player uh you know, uh, scrappers of their own. I wonder if that's the direction we go, where we find more of the uh, the Ty Domi types coming back. Uh, that'll be interesting to see as the game evolves. So, uh, I don't know, something to, something to keep an eye on, I guess, over the next several years. There you go. Gave you something to think about. We'll step aside when we come back. We'll wrap things up on this afternoon's edition of HSK Today on 1230 The Game, the Silver Knights Radio Network. I'll answer the question. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle Brian McCormick. Wrapping things up on HSK today before a uh, busy week of hockey in the Vegas Valley. The Henderson Silver Knights and Vegas Golden Knights pulling a doubleheader on Saturday afternoon at T-Mobile Arena. Silver Knights will be on the ice at 1 o'clock. And if they're going to play at 1, then they have to make sure all their gear is is up to snuff. So let's have our equipment check of the week with Assistant Equipment Manager Cameron Batty. Cameron, how's the, uh, how's the gear today? It's great. Excellent. Thank you, Cameron. Appreciate that, uh, keeping us up to date. Reminder again for fans who are attending the game on Saturday at T-Mobile Arena, uh, doors will open for fans 90 minutes prior to puck drop, so a 1 p.m. puck drop, 11.30 a.m. Pacific time, the doors will be opened. No bags are allowed uh, at T-Mobile Arena, so be prepared. You will not be allowed to bring a bag inside the arena. You will need to access the Clear app on your phone. Clear app, C-L-E-A-R app, and have a registration on that app to get into the building. Uh, So uh, download that to your phone and make sure you're prepared with the Clear app. Masks will be required. And everyone will receive a game day email with all of this information, uh, including how to access and utilize the Clear app. You'll get the uh, email on game day 
uh, if you've purchased tickets. Also exciting for the coming week on Tuesday, May 11th, the game at the Orleans Arena, also against the San Jose Barracuda. The Henderson Silver Knights will have uh, a limited number, I believe up to 2,000, but a limited number of Mark andre Fleury figurines to give away. So those uh, tickets on Tuesday are available starting at $19. Get the tickets uh, for uh, exciting Henderson Silver Knights hockey during this home stretch and this push to the playoffs and get a Mark andre Fleury figurine as well if you're there early. So uh, lots to look forward to. And, of course, we talked about this playoff push, just a little bit of an update of what the playoff picture looks like for the Silver Knights right now. They are a top the Pacific Division, 44 points. Now, 45 points is what Bakersfield has, but, of course, this is all done by points percentage right now. So the Silver Knights have a slim, slim percentage lead over Bakersfield, 647 to 643. San Diego right behind the two of them at 603. But, uh, again, lots of hockey between the Henderson Silver Knights and the Bakersfield Condors to wrap up the season. They'll play each other the final three games of the year, both teams with five games left on their schedule. So important hockey on the way, and uh, we hope you'll be uh, in attendance to see for yourself. That's going to do it for today's edition of HSK Today. Special thanks to Jamie Heward for joining us this afternoon. And we'll be on the air on Saturday from T-Mobile Arena, also a TV game on the CW Las Vegas. Mike McKenna and Brian Salmond will be on the air as well. We'll start here on 1230 of the game at 12.30 with the Henderson Silver Knights pregame show. I'm Brian McCormick. Thanks so much for joining us today on HSK Today, and we'll see you this weekend for Silver Knights Hockey. Have a great one, everybody.